not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. So while it's good to talk about serious things, it's just as important and just as American to have some fun. Now, let's have some fun. Hey everybody, welcome back to Left, Right, Middle. I'm Eric. I'm Brian. And today we're going to do a second edition looking into COVID-19 and coronavirus. We had our previous episode kind of talking about the um, initial effects and kind of what that's looked like. And today we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive into new information we've learned about the virus in general. Sounds good. And uh, I think there's still a lot of, some of the feedback was there's still a lot of uh, part of that subject we didn't touch uh, that is important. Uh, to people and in their approach in uh, gathering information and processing information. Yes. And so, but uh, there is some new developments that have come out and uh, you've got a little bit better handle on it. So what, what are those new developments? Yeah. So last time we were talking about how weird it is that the virus affects some people very lightly. You know, you were talking about the hundred year old who basically had three days about with it and was fine whereas i went for six weeks you know your friend was just tired i have a friend who's been sick for almost six months now yeah you were telling me about him it's bizarre so um we're starting to actually figure out why that is which is really interesting and it has to do with a really specific type of inflammation which is called a bradykinin reaction and basically it's this type of inflammation that'll latch on to different receptors all over the human body where coronavirus obviously i'm sorry covid19 obviously um is mainly affects the lungs because that's where the highest concentration of these receptors are but they're also found in the liver in the brain in the heart and that's where we're starting to see some of these weird instances albeit rare of people suffering strokes of people suffering heart attacks of people having um you know, memory loss and memory problems and amnesia. And it all has to do with this specific type of inflammation that COVID is just really, really good at creating. And, you know, that varies from person to person on, you know, how their body operates, how many receptors their body has. And, uh, is it a certain type of receptor? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, uh, in terms of then it's also you know individuals immune systems and if they're kind of prepared for you know what coronavirus actually does and if somebody's immunocompromised in some way obviously that's going to bind to more of those receptors than it might in somebody who is normally younger and healthy right and that's why we're starting to see people who are at risk or elderly um be affected disproportionately and and those at risk people are autoimmune disease autoimmune disease diabetes yes obesity anything that generally is going to impact your immune system which is almost you know anything like if you have a pre-existing condition well i've got an autoimmune yeah uh disease and it's not serious it's Uh celiac disease yeah um so it's not life or death or anything like that it Uh can be long term if you don't get it taken care of but um it, it is there is an element of when I get sick and I get sick fairly, not often, mm-hmm. but I do get sick. And yeah. when I do, it knocks me out. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if that's the autoimmune portion of it or if there's something else going on or yeah. I, I don't know. But 
um, you never know, you know, it's last year, my son got strep throat and uh-huh. he had a sore throat for like two days, yeah. or at least that's what he talked about. Mm-hmm. And we got him his medicine and everything else. Um, I got strep throat a week later and I was down for almost a whole week. Exactly. And exactly. I'm supposed to have a stronger immune mm-hmm. system than him. So I, I think, you know, that's one thing that really baffles me is the immune system and, and how, yeah. how everything plays a, a role uh-huh. in, in that. Um, and I think that that's part of, part of the conversation that a lot of people ignore when it comes to COVID-19. Yeah. And that is, well, I had a friend that it did nothing to them. Yep. Well, I've got a friend that gets strep throat three times a year mm-hmm. and I got another friend that hasn't had it in years. Exactly. Doesn't make one stronger than the other. It's still strep throat, still very, very contagious and, and can be catastrophic to some people. Exactly. Exactly. Strep throat can kill you easily. If you're immunocompromised or elderly, it's this very serious, um, infection. Of course, strep is bacterial based, and right. not viral. So it is, um, thanks for pointing that one out. Well, yeah, it's just <laughs> <laughs> easier to treat. I should right. say. So, right. Um, but conceptual. Yes. Conceptually. Reasoning. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, uh, what is it about this, this new, uh, study that came out that, that really intrigues you the most? I think it just, it answers the question that, um, a lot of people who were, kind of using anti-science rhetoric or going down conspiracy theory paths. The questions that they had that initiated kind of those thought processes, I think are finally being answered a little bit more, which is, okay, what is this virus? What is it causing? You know, people initially it was a, it was a respiratory illness. Then all of a sudden we were hearing people were getting amnesia and having strokes. And I think everybody was like, Oh my God, just rolling their eyes being, this isn't, you know, the virus does whatever it wants to fit a narrative, apparently, but now we're starting to see, okay, there's this weird inflammation matched with this weird blood clotting issue in certain sections of the body that is disproportionately occurring in the lungs and the respiratory tract, and, you know, some people's immune systems are able to handle that and push that inflammation down and make sure the blood clotting doesn't get serious, where other, other people are not able to do that, and they're staying sick for much longer. So I think just in terms of actually finally understanding, okay, we're starting to get a handle on this. And that's what is reassuring for me, because not so much for vaccinations, but for treatment. So now you look at it and you say we're starting to get a handle on this, right? But there's still a lot of people out there that go, it, it doesn't even exist. It's and, a hoax. And I should kind of... Yeah, choose my words more carefully. Where we're starting to get a handle on it from a scientific viewpoint, we're not starting to get well, a handle on it from a public health. But we're starting to get a handle on this particular strain, right? Because it's already mutated what twice. Yeah, but in terms of the how this COVID nineteen actually mutates is very minimal. So COVID nineteen's okay. mutations won't totally change the virus you know it's kind of like how the flu mutates year to year right where the flu is the flu if i got it when i got it in 2016 and i got it in 2018 it was pretty similar even though technically it was different strains right yeah so how has the science that that has been developed recently or or come to light recently changed the direction that we're approaching covid19 it is it's a mixed bag because unfortunately um 
the new information that we found, we already highly kind of figured basically on trying to work with different drugs that do different things as a treatment. And we found a lot of success um, in like anti-clotting um, drugs and stuff like that. And we we're like, why the hell would those work? You know, and now we're starting to understand why it works. So in a way, it just kind of tells us exactly what we need to be using to actually treat that virus. And unfortunately, it's not hydroxychloroquine. It is going to be, you know, the rest. Uh, what about bleach? Yeah, injecting it directly. Yeah. Um, yeah, which, again, you know, that's a it's a funny talking point, but that is one that drives me crazy, too, because he never said anything <laughs> even close to that. No, you he know? didn't. And uh, he definitely, that's, that's like one of the most obvious examples that I can point to of like the left media creating a narrative out of nothing, because right. I could tell he was riffing and was trying to figure it out and that's well but when you're the president you don't get to have fun you don't get to riff in a public setting i agree with you fully it was it's not (laughs) the time to talk out a solution to a global pandemic is not during the press conference right so that's definitely on him but at the same right like not the words inject bleach or put bleach into your body didn't didn't cross his not once at the same time um you're right. You know, he is the leader of the free world and you need to be able to pick your words carefully or you need to deal with the consequences. Well, but that's an example of you and I have similar points of view mm-hmm. um, and they're fairly middle. OK, and, yeah. and I lean right on a few more topics than you do. Mm-hmm. You lean left on a few more topics than I do. Yeah. But one of the things that, that is different about you and I and why our conversations intrigue us so yeah. much is because you dive a little bit more deeper into the subjects. And yeah. that, that's why I ask you a lot of times, I, I'll see something and I'll reach out to you and go, are you serious? Did this really yeah. just happen? Or, or what does this even mean? How is this something that that is even somewhat in line with where this is supposed to go? Yeah. And I think that's that's also where there's a lot of that divide in America right now, mm-hmm. because you have people like me. I I don't social media that much. Yeah. Right. Like I have a Facebook account. Mm-hmm. In fact, in our last anniversary, my wife told me you should probably go on Facebook yeah. <laughs> and just put a post down so people know you love me. And I'm like, <laughs> I have to do that on on Facebook. And yeah. she's like, you do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, OK. And she's like, and I put something down so you can at least like it. And yeah. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't Instagram. Yeah. Okay. I have accounts for them, mm-hmm. but I don't do them often. Yeah. But I jump in there every now and then. I have apps on my phone. Yeah. That I get news from. Uh huh. And that's it. Yeah. Right. And and I surf Twitter. I look at the trending on on Twitter. I'm the same way. Fairly with often. Yeah. Um. But other than that, I don't. I, it's where do, where am I going to get my news? Yeah. Right. I, I've cut the cord. I'm mm-hmm. not watching local news anymore. Yeah. So the only way that I get my news is literally through the AP app. Yeah. CNN mm-hmm. and BBC America. Yeah. And, and that's about it. Yeah. So when I have a limited intake of news. Yeah. And we have so many complex issues. How does that affect the direction of people's mindsets yeah. that that are going through this. How do you know what's right? How, what's, uh, what's wrong? And it's so easy to just get frustrated and go, you know what? It's all crap. Yeah. It's all crap. I can't trust anybody. When, when we were going through the conventions, I didn't even know where to turn to fact check. Yep. 
and I didn't, I turned it over to Fox news. I couldn't listen to them and expect a non-biased approach. Yeah. I turned it over to CNN. I couldn't listen to them and expect a non-biased approach. Exactly. And I'm sitting there kind of going, well, wait a second. What am I supposed to be believing right now? Yeah. Like who's telling me the truth? Mm-hmm. Because right now I feel like nobody's telling me the truth. Yeah. And that's the same thing with this COVID conversation is mm-hmm. who do I listen to? Yeah. Like you've got these scientists that are coming out with all this new information and everything else, yet you still have a, a large portion or maybe a small pocket. I don't know. They're the most vocal Yeah. that are going, I don't need masks. This, it, this isn't a big deal and everything else. But what you just explained to me about the new science that has come out about COVID-19 really makes me go, this is a lot more complex than I think a lot of people understand. And so with that being said, how do you make something so complex easy enough and mainstream enough for people to buy into it? I think where, when when, I didn't mean to cut you off, but Mm -hmm. when people don't understand something, they're going to rebel against it. Oh, absolutely. Like, and that's what we were talking about last episode in terms of conspiracy theory is when some, when a cop, when a topic is so complex or muddled in very complex science or, or thought, that's where you're going to see conspiracy theories pop out as a way to explain it easier. And I think where there's a major failing in messaging um, in politics in general is the assumption that the population can't handle uncertainty. When in reality, communicating uncertainty sometimes is just transparency, which I would have liked to see that situation be handled much better in a way that we can come out and say, listen, this is what we know. This is what we're what is being recommended to us, and it'll be the safest thing that we can possibly do. But you need to understand new information is going to come out and we're going to learn more and we're going to be able to change things. And what happens this week might not be the same next week. And that's scary. And I understand that we need somebody that can actually articulate, you know, complex emotions and uncertainty right now. And, you know, we can look back at past administrations and see the mismanage of that just continually. You know, whether it be um, directly after um, 9-11, you know, a lot of people, there was total chaos and confusion. And, you know, it's it's interesting to think back because a lot of people don't even remember, like, we didn't invade Iraq because of 9-11. You know, it has nothing to do with it. But if you talk to a lot of people today, they'll think that the war in the Middle East, that was the trigger, was 9-11. So there's a lot of confusion and just not general explanation at that time. And I think we're seeing that right now again, where instead of being transparent and upfront, we've tried to hide information or control information in a way to give the air of certainty, even if it was false certainty, that's now backfiring. Right. That's that's my biggest thing is a level. Obviously, total transparency probably isn't the best call, but at least having enough respect for your constituents to actually attempt explaining at what is going on. Is it weird that you talk about a lack of transparency when we're talking about an administration that tweets so many times a day? That is um, where you can kind of think about transparency versus information overload. You know, I think if strategically from a politics standpoint, the Trump administration is very good at information overload is if you can i mean i don't remember what scandals or events came up last week but i'm sure there was several 
But I know that this week, you know, okay, all of these things happened with Trump potentially making disparaging comments about POWs or um, soldiers. But it's like I can't even remember what the last thing was. You know, we were freaking out about the post office two weeks ago, and it's like, God, I haven't even thought about the post office since. Right. So it's constantly creating problems or an information overload to kind of keep people. I don't know if it's purposefully in the well, dark or if it's just a bad way of communication that hasn't been addressed yet. Well, and and keep in mind, I mean, there's research out there that shows that the attention span of a human is less than a goldfish. Yeah. So honestly, all he's doing is giving us stuff to keep our attention moving. Yeah. You know, because it's going to do it anyways. Yep. It, it's not a... Um, it's not necessarily him driving us to to look at different things. It's it's our nature now. Yeah, and I think as just people, you know, and and citizens of the United States, we need to do a much better job of holding our publicly elected officials kind of at arm's length and understanding that they aren't the end all be all of morality and kind of truth. Or anything, you know, uh, President Trump is it's the first time that we have kind of access to a direct stream of conscious to a president, which presidents beforehand have taken a much more measured approach in how they communicate things. And I think um, I really appreciate Trump's candor in a lot of ways, you know, and I think it's really good to have that direct access to the thoughts of the president. But. When you're dealing with a global pandemic and a global health emergency, you need to kind of look at how your messaging um, works, you right. know, and maybe reel back and, you know, keep keep streamlined tweeting about the election, different things. But if you're going to try to create a public health measure um, or advocacy, you need to have that messaging streamlined across all platforms, which is right. what we know is marketing is brand cohesion is everything. You don't want your mailers to look different from your website, and you know you don't want your lo you don't want to have a different logo on your storefront than you have on your Google My Business page. Sure. So, so okay, I'm going to put you on a, on the spot for a couple of COVID questions. You ready? Okay. All right. The kids going back to school. It needs to be done by a case-by-case uh, -case situation because if we need to just work at an infection rate level, you know, there was guidelines released that is, okay, this is what you do in all of these situations. But again, they're not able to be enforced at all. And that's, you know, we're seeing a lot of places, um, for example, Hobbs, New Mexico. They have guidelines and every single school did not meet the guidelines needed to reopen and they just reopened anyway. So we just need to be listening to those guidelines and actually believing in science and not just having apathy be the main driver behind the decisions. Okay. So should they open or not? Case y by case. Yes or no. You're, you're going the politician route right now. I am, but I, <laughs> there's no way I can give you a yes or no answer because, again, South Dakota, yeah, it's probably totally safe to open your schools there. In Lubbock, Texas, I'd shut them down quicker than you can blink. Okay. The masks. Yes. Where? Just at, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is if you can't handle having a mask on your face for three to five minutes it takes to be in a store, you should not be out in public because you clearly have an anxiety disorder that hasn't been addressed. <laughs> so one of my fr one of my wife's friends posted on there that, uh, you know, the government can't tell her 
and take her right away from wearing or not wearing a mask and that it's false. And if you want to wear a mask, you might as well put a hazmat suit on and, and everything else. And um, it's her right to not wear a mask. And, you know, I've seen seen some of the TikTok videos um, yeah. and, and everything else, which is I'm getting in my car that is registered to the state and putting on my seatbelt, which is the law, yeah. and driving to a restaurant that is uh, zone, or um, kept up to code yeah, with, uh, the health department. with the health department mm-hmm. and everything else. What is the point? What is the big deal about putting on a piece of clothing or, or a mask that saves not only you but other people and people go well it doesn't save uh everybody else or it doesn't save me uh from everybody else and i'm like it's a two-way street and if we would just all wear it what's the big deal i mean and that's that's where you're starting to see and i i understand the frustration with it because it is nobody wants to be controlled and i see that and i respect that but at the end of the day like you said it's it's the idea that the mask isn't for you i wear it in case i'm infected and am potentially spreading it right and just for other people and i also wear it more than anything just to be an example you know it's the right thing to do and i think people are just scared of you know where i think we're seeing a lot of the anti-mask stuff is this virus was politicized very early on, and the administration decided to go with the route that masks were not effective or necessary. And, you know, people within that um, echo chamber just bought into that idea, and they weren't going to hear anything else, you know, moving forward. Is That's that's what was said, that's their belief system, and that's what it's going to be. Well, and, and I think that's part of the, the problem is, on the left and the right, yeah. is that nobody's willing to go back to the middle on this. Exactly. You know, it's, oh, I'm a Trump supporter, so therefore I demand that I don't wear this. Yeah. Or, uh, and not all Trump supporters are like that. No. Um, you know, I, I know some uh, some people on the left that, that don't want to wear their masks. I know some people on the left who are scared to even leave their house, too, which yeah. is the other end of the spectrum, which is like, we all need to be inside and we need to shut down the economy. And, like, that's equally as insane as not wearing a mask. It's right. just that we've found a pressure point where it's either everybody wears a mask or nobody wears a mask or it's, we got to shut down or we got to stay open entirely when really, you know, we can look at Lubbock as the perfect example. There was a, it, the way that the city is set up and kind of distanced and it was a wonderland for remote workers. And we could have actually kept the economy open if we just did smart things in the beginning of kind of risk mitigation, mm-hmm. but we didn't. And that's what's hard is, again, it's the goalposts are constantly moving because we're not successfully establishing guidelines. Right. And you and I talked about about the difference between local uh, government and state government and yeah. the um, directives given and and those types of things. And, and I think that's where you really run into it. And, and I have some friends in, in Oregon uh-huh. um, that have talked to me that have said, um, what are you guys doing down in Texas? Why don't you guys just wear masks? Yeah. And I'm like, I do. Exactly. <laughs> like, it's not all of us. Uh-huh. It's just the, the few that talk the loudest. And that really. was the thing, you know, I came back from Philadelphia. We talked about it last episode where I kind of had an epiphany about how things were being handled in different areas of the country. And I saw 
maybe one out of five people wearing a mask. And mm-hmm. then the shelter, we shut down the economy again, and things got more serious um, in the next week. And I went out to go grocery shopping, and I would say 80% of people were wearing masks. It is it Like is overnight, working. right? Overnight, yeah, exactly. So it is... When a leadership is able just to come down and make the hard decision and isn't so worried about the the vocal majority but the in actuality minority of people, terrible, terrible decisions can be made. Well, and, and I think that goes to the importance of solid leadership too. Yes. Like, in my opinion, the, the government or the administration didn't take a leadership role in this soon enough. Yeah. And I think that's what really gave people, empowered people to believe that it's not that important. Yeah. Yeah. And And that is, that's what you can see the difference of is if you look at swine flu, you know, which is kind of the most recent, I'm not sure if it was ever declared a a global pandemic or not. I I, want to say, I don't think it was. It made some, it, it crossed some threshold, but apparently that's debated. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, the Obama administration was very, transparent and upfront on how they were handling that and even though we've seen you know 60 times more cases of swine flu it's more contagious obviously so it's it's a different situation but you know people want to talk about well why isn't you know there as much scrutiny on them for all of those cases and like you said a lot of it has to do with the messaging and the transparency and the listening to experts and just kind of moving forward. Well, and, and that messaging really leads me to my next question is what is, you know, one of the, the big talking points at the DNC uh, several weeks mm-hmm. ago was, um, you know, when I get take or when I get into position or, yeah. or I win and we're going to take steps to, to eradicate uh, COVID-19 or, yeah. or we're going to help beat this kind of yeah. thing. What makes the Democrats think that they can do what the Republicans haven't been able to do yet? That's the million-dollar question. And honestly, it's just the Democrats are running on the platform of we're just going to trust scientists. And they've overcompensated in the stupidest ways. Like I think Joe Biden just said that everybody should wear a mask outside as well, like just 24-7, which – is not the way you want to run politically, you know, or no, just be a politician. You got to understand that, like. But it extremes. kind of reminds me. It reminds me of when I ran for office in the sixth grade. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to put Coke machines in every room. Exactly. And we're going to have two recesses. You know, blah 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 blah. Yeah. It was just rhetoric to try and make people vote for me. Yeah. Is, is it the same same situation here? I think. I don't. I don't. And what what where I'm pulling that belief from is the past administrations and relationships with scientific thought is there's just been a lot of attack on intellectualism, rightfully so. In some instances, I think there's a major problem with the intellectual class in America keeping information non-accessible from people that can't understand high level topics, which is a whole issue with scholarly research I can go into. But more than anything, it's just from the very beginning, they were just like, let's just... I dare you to do your Harvard uh, thesis on that. Uh, I can tell you, I'm doing it on the uh, different reconciliations and um, reconstruction periods after civil wars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. So Us- can, usable. <laughs> I was going to say, you can see why I'm probably <laughs> focusing on something like that. But um, it is so... 
interesting because at the end of the day, you're right. Like nothing says that they're going to handle this better than what the Republicans um, have done in the current administration. And it's also, even if they get elected, they are in, they are in a terrible spot to try to get this, you know, fixed because it's not something that they can do. Their job isn't to cure coronavirus. Their job is to cure the division in the country that will allow us as a country to beat coronavirus. And the big question there is, can that even be cured right now? And that's that's what we don't know. You know, it's like even as somebody who leans left, it's like I am labeled a communist. I am labeled a uh, socialist or, you know, or somebody on the far right is immediately a fascist or, you know, a racist. And we're just not coming together to realize that, like, man, like we don't hate each other. Right. At all. You know, so. The, the left saying during the, the convention that we're going to fix it, mm-hmm. but really, can they, is, is the question. And then the right, during their convention, really didn't even address that it was there. Yeah, they just talked about the you know the successes of it. It was very weird. There was one speaker at the RNC who spoke about coronavirus in the past tense. Yep. I forget who that was, but that was very dystopian, um, in my opinion, which I'm fine. You know, there was it was lies. a fairly high high ranking person, it was, wasn't it? It was a was it Mnuchin? I forget who did it. Could have been. I, yeah. I don't. I don't want to go on record. No, I was gonna say I forget, <laughs> but it was somebody that I was just like, well, that's really weird. You know, I yeah. was like, I'm fine. You know, both sides are gonna are gonna flex facts. They're gonna use rhetoric, but like that was very weird to use it in past tense because we are in the midst of this. You know, yeah. whether we like it or not, and. Um, I think, you know, honestly, in terms of just the convention, the the Republicans probably won more votes with how they addressed coronavirus than the Democrats did. Yeah, I, I think, you know, right now everybody's just kind of over it. Yeah. You know, like, I just don't want to deal with it anymore. And these people didn't really talk about it, so it really must not be that big of a deal. Yeah, everybody and, wants to minimize it because we want to minimize it out of existence. Well, and I really feel like the left is just using it as a campaign tool yes and that's scary too exactly is do they actually you know will they actually put into place all of these things because that's one of the other arguments against biden is he is an establishment politician you know Mm -hmm. and it's like yeah he has a record a decent track record in office he's definitely made his fair share of terrible votes on bills and stuff and but but over that period of time aren't you kind of I mean, I don't want to say you're expected. You can't make the right decision all the time. And there's a lot of times when you look at politicians and they go, I voted yes on this for this reason, not for this other reason, but yeah. because they wrap so many things into a bill. That's very true. And I think people, I think it's important to understand people can change. And I think that's one of the most toxic things in our political climate is the idea is if you change your stance, even from 20 to 30 years ago, you're now labeled as like a flip flopper or disingenuous, yeah. which you know, I think it's incredible Bernie Sanders has been fighting for civil rights and was, you know, out there in college championing the same beliefs he holds today. But I actually look at that as a detriment to him as well, because I want somebody to be a leader who is able to say, you know what? I I made mistake. I was wrong. This is how I make it right. I would love to see a, a leader come out and go, you know what? I don't know the, the solution to this, but I, what I do know is that I will surround myself with very smart people from both sides and we will come together and figure it out. And it's incredible how effective a message as simple as that would be. And yet it's so scary for Brian Link for president 2020. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're going to get on the ballot? Uh, uh, well, if Kanye's having as much trouble as he's having right now getting on some of those ballots, I don't think I have a chance. Yeah, that's true. So, that's true. <laughs> but uh, so wrapping it up, um, COVID is scientifically getting more. We're, we're finally starting to understand the scientific side of things, which helps tremendously in treating things. So what we're likely to see moving forward is death numbers continue to fall, even as cases continue to rise which will then create, you know, a more complex narrative of, okay, if people aren't dying from this, why are we doing all of this? You know, right. people are just getting kind of sick. So it's going to evolve and it's going to change and how we handle it needs to evolve and change as well. But if one thing's for certain, this is going to be a conversation, you know, as apathetic as we can get around it until a useful vaccine is developed and deployed. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, again, take the, the topics and, and listen to the left, the right, and find yourself in the middle. Uh, if you liked everything you heard today, then hit that subscribe button, and we will talk to you soon.